Amen. We preached about it last weekend. Caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. And you don't even understand what ever is. Your first boyfriend told you he'd love you forever. What an idiot he was. My first girlfriend told me she'd go with me if I wouldn't tell nobody. I knew it was off to a rocky start. She broke up with me about three days later. But I never told anybody till today. But we will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Give the Lord another great praise. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We worship you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. In just a few moments, Brother and Sister Seton will be coming. <coughs> our singles class, our wild singles class, their first Sunday to have class. Brother Clark Bynum's teaching our wild singles class, Walking in Love Daily. And whoever else needs to be dismissed, don't go with the wild singles unless you're single. Amen. Don't be trying to sneak up. Y'all yeah. <laughs> can go right now if you would so like. You may be seated. Somewhere around 10 years ago, I just came here as your pastor, and some of you made the trip with us as we were just getting started here. We went to Paris, Texas. Any y'all? How many of y'all remember going with us? I know Sister Melissa. I know you were there. Brother Mike, Sister Kathy, some <coughs> brother Kevin back there. We had just got here to be pastor, and several of y'all made the trip with us to Paris, Texas, to a very important event taking place in a gymnasium up there at the United Pentecostal Church. And I gave my youngest daughter to this knucklehead. I mean, my oldest daughter. I always get him confused. I gave him my wife last time. <laughs> Amen. But I stood on that platform over 10 years ago or 10 years ago, something more, somewhere around there. And I said, I, almost 11, I said, I'd rather not, but if I have to, I will approve of you taking her to Germany. Because the nation of Germany has been in Jamie Seaton's heart for many years. And today I could bawl my eyes out, but I'm not. I'm going to put my big girl panties on and deal with this. <laughs> I've had to put them on several times over the last year. But uh, if it wasn't for the fact that it's been burning in his heart for so long, I'd fight him tooth and toenail. But sometime this year when they finish raising their money, they'll be headed there uh, starting off for a one-year term, hoping to end up as... as uh, career missionaries to Germany but um, and that's about all I need to say come on y'all I love you so they're here today if you want to help them go I could just bite your head off if you want to give them money to help them go that's what all several of my minister friends have said we're going to help your kids go to Germany I'm like thanks a lot dude I'll do that when you get grandkids I'll send yours off across the world Amen. 
as touching as that was, I'm still picturing him in big girl panties. I've got the mic now. It's my turn. Amen. Honor and privilege to be in Lufkin, Texas with you all. And uh, yes, we are headed to Germany. Finally. We have, uh, we've actually uh, fought this ourselves for a little while. Um, as most of you know, my wife is a lot like her dad. Not much has to be said after that, except, you know, it's sometimes we still battle our will against his will. But, you know, there's got to be some proof in there. And we've heard some great prophetic words over our lives and our ministry over the last uh, recent months. And God has been dealing with us and speaking to us. And it's such a, a great time to go. And we'll be thankful for any support that we could receive um, and our in-laws, my in-laws are very balanced with their support. <laughs> One hand. She's straightening me out. She don't want me to see. Sometimes I wish my mother-in-law was standing up here next to my father-in-law. <laughs> I love them dearly, and it is an honor and privilege to preach here today, be with you all. We want to show a quick video, and then we'll... Uh, do something else for you. This is actually part of the video. We just want y'all to see somebody navigate through Internet Explorer or Windows Media Player. And if there's no video, that's fine. We will work on it tonight, have something for you. Is it going to? No. Okay. Hey, it's fine. We'll go ahead and move on through the service. We don't want to uh, detour, distract what God is trying to do in the service. Amen. So we'll save the video for you tonight. Or if it starts randomly playing at any time, we'll stop. <laughs> we know how uh, technology works. But anyways, um, want to just uh, kind of introduce just a little bit of German to you all today. Hello. Hello. Praise dem Herr. Praise the Lord. Ich heiße Jamie. My name is Jamie. Sie ist Courtney. She is Courtney. Wir sind missionaries in Deutschland. We are missionaries to Germany. Deutschland betrifft Jesu. Germany needs Jesus. Then Zachta Peter Suinen. Then Peter said unto them. Tutbusa un last Ike Allah. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In Namen Jesu Christi In the name of Jesus Christ. Für die Vergebung ihrer Sünden. For the remission of your sins. Und die Vergebung des Heiligen Geistes empfangen. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Den das versprechen gilt dir. For the promises unto you und deine Kinder. and unto your children und all das ist weit weg. and unto all that are far off. Sogar so viele, wie der Herr unser Gott rufen wird. Even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you believe that this morning? Yes. That it's not just for the English language. That there are Germans that need a touch from the Lord. And they need this message brought to their country. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, we go with a burden. 
with a with a strong burden to reach the German speaking nations in Germany. There are just a handful of churches there with actually only two appointed missionaries to the country of Germany. 83 million people in Germany. And that's not even counting maybe foreigners or illegal immigrants that are there. But 83 plus million people in Germany. And there are only a handful of churches. Jesus is needed in Germany. And he just needs someone to go. And we are willing to go to Germany to reach them. We have been asked to go to Bonn, Germany, which is a city right outside of suburb, right outside of Cologne, which is the fourth largest city in Germany. There's a little Spanish work there, which needs a pastor. So I know this is kind of ironic and uh, comical. Gloria a Dios. Yeah, we're going. (laughs) So not only are we learning German, we're learning Spanish, and I've barely got the English language down. So help us, pray for us. Amen. But they've got a little small Spanish church there. But also in the midst of that, there is that city of Bonn and Cologne that has no church at all. Millions of people that need him. And while we've been asked to go serve as interim pastors for this Spanish work, we're going to be doing our very best to start a German-speaking church as well in that area. And they desperately need him. I've had the opportunity to go over the last two and a half years. I've taken three trips over there. And there is such a great need. And we've been able to minister and reach people even in that short amount of time. And I know God is going before us and fighting battles on our behalf. Let's worship the Lord as my wife sings. The cross is there. Sing with me to the
Hallelujah. Can we lift our hands and love Him all across this place this morning? Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. How great is our God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. If you allow me a few moments this morning to preach to you what I feel. This is not necessarily a missions message. This is just what I feel. I feel this for Cornerstone. I feel this for you all individually. For this church corporately. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord. Thank you, sir. It's a good brother-in-law. Choose you this day. Somebody say that. Choose you this day. Whom ye will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I want to preach for a few moments this morning with a simple title, Choose You This Day. Choose You this day, would you lay your Bibles to the side? Would you lift your hands and your voices? God, right now we come before you, your presence so strong with a deepening burden in our hearts. Lord, right now, I know you want to move throughout this service. I know you want to move on every individual in this place right now. Would you have your way right now in every heart, in every mind, that you would anoint the words that proceed out of my mouth. In the name of Jesus, use my hands, use my feet, use my mouth, oh God, as a willing vessel before you. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, you may be seated. Choose you this day. Each and every one of us have choices that we make on a regular basis. Each and every one of us have decisions that we have to make. And no, I'm not checking text messages while I'm preaching. I thought this was interesting as I went into the coffee shop today and saw this sign on the wall. So I thought, if you haven't been to the coffee shop, that I might share it with you. This is the beginning of a new day. You have been given this day to use as you will. You can waste it or you can use it for good. What you do today is important because you are exchanging a day of your life for it. When tomorrow comes, this day will be gone forever. In its place is something that you have left behind and let it be something good. Today, 
We all have a choice and decisions to make. Every single day we make decisions that define and identify who we are and what we believe. Aristotle said we are what we repeatedly do because you know when thoughts become words and words become actions and actions become habits and and habits become our destiny. We are what we repeatedly do. Today I stand at this pulpit with a burden and an unction not just as a missionary but also as a preacher of the gospel uh, as someone who's been doing this for almost 17 years now and I've tried to find the balance uh, and live my life according to his word and I I just sometimes I fall flat on my face and I fail uh, in the areas of commitment Commitment to His Word and commitment to this ministry and commitment to my love for Him and commitment to what I say and what I'll actually do. Jesus identified that, that there was a a father that asked his son, will you go to the field? And one said yes, and the other said no. But the one who said yes didn't go. But the one who said no ended up going. There is that balance, but there's also got to be something in each and every one of us that says, God, I'm going to do exactly what I say I will do. I will be committed to it all. He said, we have honored with our lips, but our heart is far from Him. Jesus identified that, that there are people that love me, that honor me with their lips, but when it comes down to it, their heart can't be found anywhere near me. Lord, help me find the balance of commitment in my life that what I say, I will do. And to each and every one of us here this morning at Cornerstone, that we will get a new commitment about us. God, that whatever is in your word I don't want to be found just talking but I want to start doing what I said I would do if it comes to a lost soul I want to reach a lost soul I don't want to pass by somebody in a wheelchair without praying over them but God if I believe in healing I want to know that you're able to do it no matter in a church service or at the grocery store or on the job God if you are able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think Let me know it and let me believe it and let me do it. I don't want to be found somewhere wavering in my commitment with what I say and what I do. Where my lips and my life do not match up. I don't want to be this person over here and someone else in this crowd. I don't want to be living this way at the house and some way else at the church. That's going to be confusing to my wife when I'm standing in a pulpit and she says, wait, where is that stuff coming from? I've never seen that. Now that's not who you are. Wait, 
I want to be the same person at the store, at home, at church, everywhere I am. I want my lips and my life to match up. I don't want God to get confused when he looks at me and says, wait, who is that? Who's that young man? Who's that preacher? I don't really know him. He's honoring me with his lips, but his heart is far from me. When Jacob was passing out blessings, uh, he looked at Reuben and said, you, uh, You're not getting one, buddy. I'm passing out blessings to everybody, but Reuben, uh, you've missed out. Uh, why? Because you are unstable uh, as water. And James said an unstable man, uh, a double-minded man is unstable uh, in all his ways. Uh, I don't want to be found unstable. Uh, I don't want to be found wavering. Uh, I don't want to be found less committed uh, than somebody else. I want to be wholeheartedly committed uh, to this word uh, and to this truth uh, and to this gospel. And I hope somebody here this morning... Uh, is getting a hold of what I'm saying. I don't want to be someone else every other day, but we come to church, try to act like I know Jesus. The Bible says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing. Again, let my lips and my life match up. I don't want them living in two different worlds. When I make decisions and choices, I want to know that God is pleased and acceptable of what my sacrifice is to Him. Too often we stand at the corner of decisions and are too afraid of making the wrong choice and we second guess our commitment to the process or what it might cost us. One man said it like this, in order to make an impact, one must be committed to the collision. In order to make an impact, one must be committed to the collision. And that's not for those trying to get out of a vehicle by insurance. I know my wife was dealt quite, or my my mother-in-law, who was my wife, one other Sunday. I know there was somebody who was quite committed to the collision of her vehicle. In order to make an impact, one must be committed to the collision. Edmund Hillary, in 1953, made a decision after years of planning and years of looking for uh, help along the way and watching others uh, that have gone before and failed. In 1953, he set his eyes to the summit of Mount Everest and said, I will climb this mountain. He went up where others said it was impossible. Others had their doubts. Others mocked and criticized. But Edmund Hillary was determined within himself to conquer the mountain that was before him. He had determined and made a decision and there was an embrace in his heart that he was going to climb the mountain. He and his friend faced all kinds of adversity on their journey. They faced hunger and thirst and frostbite and altitude sickness and weariness and fatigue and anything else you could imagine. But again, he had his eyes set on the summit of Mount Everest and said, I will 
will climb this mountain. They came upon one particular difficult rock face, but Edmund found a way to climb it. His biography states those actual words that somewhere along the way they came upon this difficult place and Edmund I can imagine just he looked at everything he had. I'm not going to be able to climb this unless I start getting rid of some things that I've carried with me this far. There's this load, this weight that I might be carrying is going to hinder me but I've got my eyes set on the summit. I've got my eyes set on the top of the mountain and it may cost me something but if I want to get to the top I'm willing to lay some things aside to get there. Others may have fallen off. Some may have given up. And some may have tried and failed. And others may have reached that particular spot. But his biography says, the rock face is now called Hillary's step. Where it was once a trouble for others, it just became a step for Hillary. Because when you get your mind made up, and when you get your lips and your life matched up, guess what? What you thought was an obstacle just becomes a little step for you. And you start walking in dimensions and places you've never walked before. You start seeing things you never saw before. You lay hands on the sick and they do recover. You start prophesying and people receive what they need. It just becomes a step when you get your eyes and your mind and your lips and your heart set in the right direction. It takes much longer to climb a mountain if you are unsure you even want to climb it anyways. That's words of wisdom. How many of us have started climbing? Well, I'm not really sure I want to do this. I'm just going to walk back down. How many times have we looked back over the course of a year and said, man, how much further along could I have been if I had just started climbing a year ago? How much further along could I be? I remember in high school, I played basketball. It doesn't look like it now, but I did. I was subbing at school when we pastored in Drinka, and I asked some of the kids, you know, I said, what sport do you think I played? We were having a conversation about sports, and Well, some of them looked at me confused. Another guy spoke up, football. I play on the fantasy football team. My wife's a model on Instagram. Since we're in a make-believe world, I might as well follow it. Somebody got touched by that right there. The Lord spoke to somebody. He looked at me and said, football. I didn't play football. I played basketball. Huh? Younger and lighter. But my last year, my senior year, my time had come. I had arrived. I was going to be a starter on the varsity team. I had paid my dues and earned the respect of fellow players and even district players. And my mom asked me a simple question going into my senior year, knowing there was a call of God on my life. At 12 years old, I was called to preach. She said, would you be willing to lay basketball down and pursue the calling? There was something I had to make a decision that day, and I told her no. 
And I looked back at the end of my senior year with regrets and torments, shame and guilt. If only I had laid down what I should have laid down a year ago. We sacrifice the things we love for the things we love more. We sacrifice the things we love for the things we love more. We make a conscientious decision and a choice to either leave things there or carry them with us which will cost us something else down the road. Moses was confronted at this place, this bush that was on fire and not consumed. And God began to speak to Moses from the bush and said, Moses, if you could just get this in your mind, Moses, I've got great things in store for you. I've got great plans for you. There are millions of Israelites that are in bondage and in captivity that need you. That I'm going to use you greatly. You're going to speak in the courts of Pharaoh. You're going to do great things. You're going to hold out a rod over the Red Sea and that Red Sea is just going to part. There's some great things you're going to do, Moses. But first, I need you to remove the sandals from your feet because the place you're standing is holy ground. I want you to get this in your mind because this, I mean, the, the thickness of the sandal should not matter. But when it comes to the things of God, even the little things matter. And God says, Moses, I've got some great things for you to do, but there's something separating you and I, and I can't get you there unless you begin to remove that thing that is hindering me. And each and every one of us here this morning can identify and know what God's been dealing with you about. And you've been looking at that situation. Wait a minute, the sand is hot. I can't deal in the desert. I can't, I'll burn my feet. But if God tells me to remove it, it should be gone. There shouldn't be a question in my mind. God, if you're asking me to remove it, let me remove it. Just that much. But God said it's got to go. Because you can't go and do what I need you to do unless you and I have a collision and an impact. You must be committed to this, Moses. So I need you to remove your sandals from your feet. 1 Samuel 16 and 1. Very interesting set of scripture. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, being seeing I have rejected him from reigning? God looks at Samuel, and Samuel's bawling his eyes out. Samuel can't get over the fact that Saul is not chosen by God any longer. Samuel can't get over the fact that God doesn't want to use Saul any longer and the Spirit of the Lord has departed from Saul. Samuel can't get over something that is departing from his life. 
But God speaks to him and says, Seeing I have rejected him, fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. It's time to stop mourning over what God is removing. If my sandals are an issue, I've got to remove my sandals. If it's something wrong in my heart, oh God, search me and point it out that I may fix it. Stop mourning over what God is removing and it's time to start praising for what he has as a replacement. Some of us get a little too caught up because we look at those things in our life. I'm nothing without them. I can't make it without that. Oh, Don't ask me to remove Facebook and Instagram from my life. I'm nothing without social media. Wait a minute. When you look at your life after you've removed those things and you see what you have left, you are now exactly what God is wanting to use. You are now exactly everything God wanted you to be in the beginning. You are now exactly everything that God has. Don't measure what God is trying to remove. Don't look at those things and say, I'm nothing without them. For the Bible says, lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. What you have left... Give it to God. What you have left, give it to God. Well, I'm nothing without these medicines. There's more people on medicine that don't need it than there are people on medicine that need it. I was counseling a young lady who actually came and looked for advice. She said, I'm in a very abusive relationship. I said, okay. Who is he? My boyfriend. Okay. Where does he live? He lives with me. I said, okay. First thing you need to do, kick him out. I can't do that. He didn't pay rent. He didn't help with bills. He was living there for free, and he was abusive. Something didn't add up in the picture. I said, he's got to go. She said, I can't. It didn't even click until later that she would rather deal with the abusive relationship than be alone because we start measuring the things that God is asking us to remove. We start measuring the things that God is asking for us to remove. It could have been very easy for Moses to reach down and say, well, you know what, if I remove that inch and a half of sandals, my feet are going to burn. This desert is hot. So we start measuring the things that God is asking us to remove, thinking that he has nothing else for us outside of the thing we have to remove. Because we can't understand God We can't understand God working in realms outside of our own understanding. 
His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are beyond our thoughts. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. So God, if you're asking me to remove, if this thing is harmful to my life and you're asking me to remove it, don't let me be less committed and not remove it. I must make a conscientious decision. I must make the choice. God, if you're asking me to remove it from my life, if it's just a small thing, even the little foxes spoil the vine. If it's just a small thing, God, I want to be committed to you. And if you're asking me to remove it, I don't want to hesitate. I don't want, to, I don't want there to be a hindrance between me and you. Oh, God. So what do you do with what you have left? You give it to God. And you let Him do what only He can do. Babe Ruth said this, Yesterday's home runs do not win today's games. The decisions I made yesterday may not be enough for today. Every day, as the sign says in the coffee shop, this is a new day. I've got a fresh day. And the decisions I make today are important. Paul said, I die daily. The singles are back there having their class and they are wild. Somebody shout out again what that stands for. Daily. Daily. I understand that's a little comical for the singles, the wild acronym there. But that applies to each and every one of us. Daily. If problems arise daily, then my hunger for God should increase daily. It should never be... I should never be complacent. I should never just be satisfactory on the board. I should never just say, you know what, I did a lot yesterday and I could take a break today. But every single day, I need to make a conscientious decision and a choice. Today, 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 I will serve the Lord. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together daily. And Paul said, I die daily understanding if I give this flesh the room that it wants, it will win. So he said, I'm forgetting those things which are behind and I'm reaching forth to those things which are before. I press towards the mark. The failures, the mistakes, the sinful thoughts, the words, the actions. Those things plagued Paul. And it plagued others who saw him. Even Ananias didn't want to go get Paul when Jesus told him to. You mean that guy killing Christian? I'll pass. I'm a Christian, remember? That guy? No. Nine. 
That means no in German. Ananias might have known German. I'll pass. I don't want to do, I don't want to deal with Paul. That dude's killing Christians. Pass. But wait a minute, you're calling me to go get him? All right. Let's see what you can do, God. Those things plagued Paul on a daily basis. And he said, I'm laying the old man down daily. Because people won't question your motives if you're consistent. And Paul said, I'll be consistent every single day. Whether it's shipwreck, whether it's persecution, I'm going to glory in my persecution and in my adversity. I'm going to rejoice in everything that comes against me. I know what I used to be, but today I'm somebody totally different. I am every single day going to choose and be consistent with this life. You cannot quantify the victories of God. We can't measure We can't try to put them in perspective. We cannot quantify the victories of God. For Isaiah said, his train fills the temple. We cannot expect him to wipe out every trial or every devil that tries to destroy us or every obstacle that tries to hinder us. All in one setting. We'd love the idea if God could just start removing Things for us. If it, okay, God, just, you know. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll tag this in about Germany. I, I'd love to know that I could get over there and every person I talk to starts getting the Holy Ghost and I can baptize them just like that. We had a thousand people in one day. Now, God has done that before. And I know it's possible to do. And I'd love to go ahead and claim that. But I also got to be realistic. Hey, what if it doesn't happen? So every day, I got to get my mind set. While we were in Heidelberg in May of last year, we were happened to be walking down the street in Heidelberg. That's a city in Germany. And up ahead of us was a man that just happened to be standing by a red light. And you could tell he was trying to cross the road. At this time, I couldn't really tell that he was blind. But he kept turning around and talking. And I was like, man, he's crazy. Let's uh, walk. Pass by on the other side. Some of you just had a Levite revelation. This guy's crazy. I don't want anything to do with him. I'll just, you know, let's just hurry, kind of get past him. Let's go enjoy our time together because sometimes we get caught up in what we want to do instead of what God's trying to tell us. I don't know. That's real. That's real talk right there. We got a little closer to him and he was just simply asking behind him because he could not tell if anyone was there. Is it green? Is it green? Is it green? Can I go? I began to deal with me about this blind man that just simply wanted direction. How many times have we been that man and just been looking around? Can I go? Can I go? We've been dependent on others around us. Is it okay for me to walk? Is it okay for me to go? Let me know. And we want God to remove every obstacle and say, okay, God, if you know what, if it's your will, go ahead and heal him and just let him be able to see so he can know what he's doing. And we pray that about ourselves. God, I'm a little blind in this area. So can you open my eyes and give me an understanding? But what if it doesn't come? Okay, God, then just remove every obstacle 
and hindrance so I'll be able to walk even though I can't see. But what if that doesn't happen? Guess what? At that particular time, I was able to talk to that man. I should have done a whole lot more than I did. And the Lord began to deal with me about that. But from where I was, I began to guide him and I began to speak to him from where I was and tell him, hey, don't don't go yet. You can't go. Because guess when God began to speak to me, sometimes you are the blind man and I don't open your eyes. And sometimes there are obstacles and hindrances and I don't remove them. But that's when you tune in and you begin to listen to my voice and I will guide you through it. You may not have to worry about anything. I'll speak to you and I'll guide you through it. We all of a sudden want those trials and obstacles to go so we can easily make a decision. God, it's much easier to serve Him when we don't have adversity. Or is it? We say, God, if you'll just take this away, I'll love you the rest of my life. How many times has God done that? And those people walked away a year later because it became too easy. But when we tune in to that voice... And He begins to guide us and direct us. And He doesn't remove everything because we wouldn't need Him any longer. Paul said, there's this thorn in my flesh. But His grace is still sufficient. There's a trial in my body. But His strength is made perfect in weakness. I will rejoice in adversity. If the musicians would come. And play softly. Choose you this day. We must learn how to praise Him for the little victories every single day. God, you didn't remove all the obstacles. You didn't remove all the pain. I've prayed for this cancer to go and you didn't remove it. Others have bound together and they've prayed and they've anointed and they declared your word, but it's still there. This sickness, this disease is still plaguing, but God, you didn't remove it. But guess what? If you're able to walk and you're able to breathe, sometimes you just got to start praising Him for the little victories that He gives you every single day. Choose you this day who you will serve. For one, when we look at Joshua, we must choose to serve him and him only. Shalt thou, we serve. Shalt thou serve. Shalt you serve. Shalt I serve. For we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service, our lips and our life match up. Second thing, we are to choose to do it alone if necessary. If nobody else on your pew does it, will you do it? If no one else around you will do it, will you? David was bringing the ark back into... Jerusalem I I have a feeling that others probably caught on but at first it was probably David alone I'm going to dance I'm going to worship I'm in the presence of God 
Job, when his friends said, you must have done something wrong. And his own wife said, curse God and die. Job said, yeah, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. But as for me, I'm going to serve the Lord. And the third thing, if you do happen to have a family, you can start raising them and choosing for your family. For Joshua had enough influence. He said, hey, my children, they're going to know who I serve. And while they're children, they're going to serve him. Train up a child in the way they should go. And when they are old, they will not depart from it. I'll never forget the days and the mornings. At night, my parents would come into my room and they would pray over me to have a good night's rest. building a church in Leesville, Louisiana at the time. My dad would get off work and he would say, son, let's go. And we'd go and we'd work at the church. Big, beautiful church. And this doesn't have to be on the tape. It's what I feel. They instilled something in me. I love for God. 